Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with Dr. Kevin Stone about how to preserve healthy knees and keep running longer. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. Normally when I start an episode, I give a brief introduction of our guest, and frankly, I usually find it pretty easy to come up with a brief description of someone's accomplishments. Although many of our guests have some incredible accomplishments, that list is usually pretty short, but that's not the case with Dr. Stone. So we could truthfully talk about his expertise and use the entire time normally allotted to a podcast just reading his list of patented surgical devices, advances in orthopedic surgical technique, and ongoing research in advances of orthopedic knee surgery. As a grossly abbreviated introduction, I'll simply say that Dr. Stone completed medical and surgical training at both Harvard and Stanford University and then went on to additional fellowship training and further specialization in knee surgery directly under the founder of the world-famous Stedman Clinic. Now, that experience alone would make him one of the world's best-trained knee surgeons, but that was only Dr. Stone's start. In the specific area of knee surgery, Dr. Stone has developed and patented dozens of medical devices and surgical techniques. He's also been actively involved in biomedical research and published dozens of studies in a variety of peer-reviewed medical journals. Because he has such a high level of expertise and experience, particularly in this area, he gets invited to travel to medical conferences all over the world to teach other orthopedic surgeons the specifics of his research and knee surgery techniques. Now, not surprisingly, athletes travel from all over the world to come see Dr. Stone when they need knee surgery. And one of the primary reasons I really wanted to have Dr. Stone on the show is because I believe he is focused on preserving the natural biology of a joint, preserving normal anatomy, and helping athletes return to sport stronger than ever after they've been injured. So with that, Dr. Stone, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Good to be here. I'm just hoping that we can share a little bit of your unique philosophy about maintaining healthy knees with all of the runners in our audience. Before we get started about all of your specific techniques, maybe you could just give us a brief background on your sort of philosophy of helping athletes heal. Sure. So first of all, as everyone knows, all athletes get injured at some time. And so that my best athletes see their injury as an opportunity to come back stronger and better than they've ever been. And what that means is that, number one, they need to have the good head about them and not get depressed about the injury. Number two, they need to be really thoughtful about why they get hurt. And then number three, they need to take the opportunity to look at all of their strengths and most importantly, their weaknesses and say, hey, well, I may not be on the road or on the trail as much as I was during this injury recovery. I can use this time to work on all the rest of my body, my core, my everything else that I might not have been spending as much time on to come back as a better athlete and a better runner than I've ever been before. My patients who buy into that do well. So again, I like them to see themselves as an athlete in training and not a patient in rehab even though they're going to be in rehab, especially if we have to operate on them. But that attitude about being an athlete in training, no matter where you are in your injury and recovery road, is just so important. And it's what keeps all of us who love to exercise every day uh, healthy and happy and keeps the the good endorphins and, and testosterone and adrenaline that circulate, helping us heal faster and heal with less scar and heal with less deficit by incorporating those thoughts. And it is sort of obviously a much more holistic approach that you take and that it really is an opportunity, not just an injury. 
and that's difficult. But, you know, most doctors seem to want to prescribe rest above all else. And granted, you know, sometimes rest is necessary. Rest is necessary for us to get stronger after we train. But there's this myth, it seems, among sort of what I think of as standard physicians that you need to rest to get better. And one of the things I often hear from patients when they call me for a second opinion is that they've actually not been getting better when they've followed the prescribed regimen of rest. And when I lecture to groups of physicians, I often hear doctors also say that runners should stop running. But I don't think rest cures everything. I think activity is crucial. And I think part of the success I have with my patients lies in helping them maintain as much activity as possible while they're healing. And one of the interesting things that I know you said is sedentary types stew in their own body's juices until the toxins build up and the systems fail. Only exercise, daily exercise, clears the evil humors from the body's small and large cavities, permitting fresh blood flow to permeate our tissues and keep us healthy. So maybe you could just expand a little bit on that idea and help our listeners understand why they should be suspicious when a doctor tells an injured runner that rest or even ceasing an athletic activity like running altogether, that that's a treatment plan or, or some sort of prescription for health. Well, thanks for quoting that section. I, I, I put careful thought and time into writing that so that I would get the right imagery for you. And uh, and I know that every athlete can uh, can relate to that feeling of stewing in their own juices. And so when you're, when you're told to rest, what I would like you to hear is that you're being told to have active rest. So there's an amount of rest that the injured joint or tissue might need to have. So for instance, but during that healing period, there's almost always a need to train the rest of the body and usually to at least gently move the part that is injured. And the reason for that is that almost all injured tissues um, do better and have less scar formation when a little bit of stress is provided to the tissue that's trying to heal. So let me explain that. So if you think about a ligament, and often if you clasp your hands together and bring them apart, your fingers together and bring them apart a little bit, we often will call that a grade one strain where there's very little um, distortion to the collagen fibers that make up that ligament. And if you pull your fingers halfway apart, we often will call that a grade two strain where the ligament's partially stretched out or torn but not completely disrupted. And if you pull them all the way apart, we call that a grade three where it's completely separated. Now, what happens when you have that injury is the body cells, the blood cells and other cells rush to that site of injury and start the process of removing the torn dead tissue, removing the inflammation, the fluid that has leaked out from the result of the tear and the bleeding, and starting to lay down new collagen and permit that ligament in this case or tendon to heal. And so if you provide just a little bit of motion and stress while the new collagen is being laid down, that collagen will lay down fibers in line with your fingers or in line with the stress that is applied. And so that the new ligament, the newly healed tissue, will be healed with strong, well-aligned collagen fibers. Now, if you immobilize it or put it in a cast or a splint and have complete rest, Unfortunately, the laying down of collagen fibers often is disorganized, and that's what we see as scar. 
And then you know when you come out of that cast or brace, you have got to spend weeks or months stretching out that tissue and trying to get the body to remodel it back to normal aligned fibers. So we're better surgeons and therapists if we can figure out how to guide you, the injured patient, to provide just the right amount of stress to that healing tissue. Now, one of the great ways to do that is good soft tissue massage. And so most of us work with great physical therapists and and folks who are really expert at using their hands and massaging the tissue and mobilizing the tissue. And what are we doing when you lay fingers on to injured tissue? Number one, you're getting rid of swelling, and swelling inhibits healing. Number two, the cells that are there are all have mechanoreceptors on their surfaces, that meaning they respond to pressure. And so when a physical therapist massages that tissue, you stimulate those mechanoreceptors to lay down new collagen, to lay down collagenase and break down scar tissue. And that's how massage therapy works so well, especially when done by very well-trained therapists. So you're, we're doing a very careful sort of what I call active rest, where we're mobilizing those tissues that are injured to permit them to heal in the strongest way. And now for the rest of your body, of course, there's almost no injury that I can think of where I can't find a creative way to keep a runner running. And running may mean running in a pool. Running may mean uh, lying on their back and doing a running motion. Running may mean, um, you know, a whole host of creative ways in order to protect the injured part while still moving the rest of the body in a, in a running simulation motion. Most of us who've had impact injuries or arthritis have found devices like elliptigos, which are elliptical machines that you take out on the road, as a very clever substitute for running while we're healing an impact injury. There's a hundred different ways to keep a runner running, and there's a hundred different ways, and maybe a thousand different ways, to keep an injured tissue healing and being gently mobilized to heal in the strongest possible way. So that's what we mean by looking at yourself as an athlete in training, but using the good counsel of every good physician who sees you that there's a degree of rest that helps, but there's a degree of creativity in actively treating those tissues that really helps quite a bit too. You have to be creative. It depends on who you're seeing about how creative they're going to be. I mean, one of the great things about our healthcare system in the United States is that we have very highly specialized, well-trained physicians. One of the problems with our training system is that we end up with highly specialized physicians. Sometimes it seems like some of those doctors really kind of only focus on one body part or or one system. And so their lens is often narrow when viewing an athlete with an injury. And, you know, a runner doesn't run with one foot and the runner runs with the entire body. And I know that you have this idea and approach when you talk about the whole person healing, this term that you have. How does that approach differ from more than sort of the conventional American orthopedic surgical ideology? Well, first of all, in some senses, we're drug pushers. And let me say that in a nice way. What we're pushing is testosterone, endorphins, adrenaline, pheromones, all the things that are released when we exercise and make us feel good and help our muscles build, help our bones become more stable and stronger. What we're doing when we're exercising, one of the wonderful things we're doing is releasing all of those things. And we as a physician trying to help someone heal, one of our jobs is to figure out how do we get them to have that same lovely endorphin rush, all those things that help both you feel better and your tissues to heal better. And so part of being a a whole patient physician or surgeon 
is that creativity of saying, okay, here's the tissues, here's the parameters of healing, here's how much time it's going to take, here are things we can do to accelerate your healing, and now we're using lots of growth factors and stem cells to do that, and we can talk about that in a minute. But in general, you've got to combine with the athlete's head first, and you've got to figure out how in this whole rehab process to get those good things on your side, those active uh, chemicals that, you know, almost like a drug pusher, to get those things going in a good way, and that's how you get a whole athlete to heal. I know that you've been working on this approach for a very long time, and you've made a number of different advancements in knee surgery in particular, and you've always talked about the, the biologic knee replacement and how does that sort of help runners? You know, if you think about runners as opposed to the sort of conventional knee replacement, when you think about what is a biologic knee replacement in terms of helping runners stay active and how does a biologic knee replacement differ from the conventional knee replacement surgery in terms of its technique and structure? This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners. What you'll get from Dr. Segler, in my experience, is expert runner and medical care that's individualized for your needs. I'm left with actionable steps to recover from my injury. Dr. Segler is different, and I felt heard, didn't feel patronized, and I felt like he prioritized getting me back to running as soon as possible, as much as I did. I just couldn't see sitting around for six weeks knowing my hard-earned fitness would vanish. I know Dr. Segler is an expert, and I wanted to see him in person. But frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration. You'll have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's gonna be on time. Two, he's gonna be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are gonna result in more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. I'm a young woman in the Philippines and I hurt my ankle yesterday. I just wanted to say thank you and that it's such a relief to be able to find a website like yours and get some information when I'm in a place with uh, little to no medical care. So I just wanted to call and say thank you. You're awesome. Book a virtual doctor visit and get a second opinion online today. Welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. What is a biologic knee replacement in terms of helping runners stay active and how does a biologic knee replacement differ from the conventional knee replacement surgery in terms of its technique and structure? So I'm going to answer that in a sort of longitudinal way. And so if we look at three groups of runners, one, the runner who's never been hurt, two, the runner who gets a cartilage injury or an injury of the soft tissues inside the knee, or three, the arthritic runner. And so let's look at all of them. Number one, running does not injure knees. You get injured if you have an error in training, a step off, an activity, that, it's something that happens that injures you. If you have an injury in the knee, such as a cartilage tear or an articular cartilage, a bearing surface of the joint injury, then running an impact on that joint can and does cause further damage. And so the job of those of us interested in biologic joint repair is to encourage people to make a very early diagnosis of a joint injury. And so if a meniscus is torn, if the articular cartilage is damaged, to figure out ways to treat and to repair, regenerate, or replace those injured tissues right away 
before arthritis sets in. And so that's the whole biologic joint replacement program that we've been working on now for so long. And what we've found is that most of the tissues that we used to think were not repairable are in fact repairable. So for the meniscus cartilage, the key shock absorber in the knee, many of the tears can be repaired and we've got new ways now of stimulating a new blood supply into areas that we didn't think we could repair before. We have a collagen scaffold now that we can sew into a defect. And so if somebody's missing part of the meniscus or someone has taken it out, we can sew in a scaffold to regrow it. Or if they're missing the whole meniscus, we can put in a new donor meniscus called a meniscus allograft. And it's our feeling that we should do all of those things very early in a runner's injury pattern so that they don't ever develop the arthritis that occurs from not having good surfaces. Now, if they've developed already into an arthritic patient and they still want to run, then they've got three major opportunities. One is that we have found and others have found that if we add anabolics to the joint, so never adding cortisone anymore, almost never, because cortisone breaks down tissue and inhibits healing. But if we add lubrication called hyaluronic acid, the natural lubricant of the joint, and we add to it stem cells and growth factors, which we prefer to take from an amnionic source, meaning a woman who's doing a C-section and we get the amnion and fluid that's loaded with growth factors. And if we add those to the lubrication, we can protect joints and, and make arthritic joints feel so much better for quite a long time. And the data is about 30% of the world are super responders to these injections and have tremendous relief. 30% sort of half and half and 30% don't respond. Unfortunately, these injections don't cure the disease. In order to cure the disease, you have to repair or replace the cartilage. And so in the arthritic knee, we and others have developed a number of techniques for grafting the articular cartilage, the arthritic injury, and replacing the meniscus if necessary and the ligaments if necessary in order to get arthritic knees back to sports. And we've now published long-term studies showing that athletes can indeed return back to sports after cartilage or biologic repair procedures. And then lastly, I have a number of patients who are runners who are in the group of having nearly bone on bone in their knees. There's almost no space left to put in a new biologic shock absorber. And there we have a bifurcated group. So on one hand, I have a number of patients who uh, run centuries and they're in their 60s and 70s. And they just want to run one more or two more or three more. And they ask me to put in a new meniscus into their arthritic knee in order to provide a shock absorber just so they can continue doing a little bit more of their career. And we know that it won't last, but it does provide that shock absorption, and that's one group of patients. The other group, which are the real bone-on-bone -bone patients and have been told by their doctors to have a joint replacement or to not run anymore, 80% of those patients who have been told that they need to have a full total knee replacement can get away with a partial knee replacement. That means that if you look at their x-rays and MRI, it's almost always one side of the knee that's worn out, not the whole knee. And you can do a partial knee replacement using a robot now as an outpatient. And now a number of our patients have returned to running in sports on these uh, partial replacements. And so we don't know if over time they're going to wear them out faster than someone else. But we think that the more active they are, the better they do. And let me explain why. So for years, joint replacement surgeons told their arthritic patients, hey, if you have a partial implant or a total implant, Go home and rest your knee and don't play active sports. And so those joints often would come loose after a decade or two, and, and you wondered why. 
And when we looked at the ones that came loose, it's often because the bone of people as they got older became osteoporotic. And so we wondered whether or not if you took patients and told them, listen, we want you to do more exercise, not less, would they strengthen their bones, strengthen their muscles, decrease the impact on that artificial joint because the bone and muscle were so much stronger, and actually have a better outcome? And so that's what we've been doing now for the last 20 years is encouraging our patients even if they have a partial or total knee replacement, to increase their exercise activity. Now, we don't tell them to go off and go running all the time because we think that uh, peak forces from a lot of running would possibly damage the joint. However, I've traveled around the world and lectured in every major country, and I always ask the top total joint surgeons that I run into, have you ever seen one of these come loose from sports? And almost every surgeon tells me, well, no. And I say, well, do you tell your patients to play sports? No. <laughs> so I'm not so sure that they really know whether or not, you know, a lot of sports and these total joints would really be damaging or not. And so we've just taken the approach that we shouldn't inhibit our patients. The patients will do better if they exercise more. And we found that to be true for almost every injury throughout orthopedics. And so I suspect it's probably true for our arthritic patients too. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's just Wolf's Law, too, that things uh, basically get stronger in response to stress. So it certainly makes sense. But it is interesting that you talk to these top surgeons who are well-respected in the field of orthopedic surgery, and they're the best people in their own communities who are not necessarily recommending this approach of maintaining activity with these historically very active patients. So let me ask your audience a good question to think about. So if you walk a mile or you run a mile, which one has more force on your joints? And so most of the audience is going to say, well, running does. In fact, the total amount of force is about the same, and that's because you take fewer steps when you run. The peak forces are higher when you run, especially if you run poorly, meaning you heel strike on hard surfaces with poor mechanics. And so one of the really good things to teach runners, whether they have a joint injury or not, is the whole movement that has occurred over the last 10 years of often midfoot running, short strides, soft surfaces, good running shoes, good technique. And you can dramatically decrease your peak forces on your joints by doing each of those things. And so it makes me realize that if I have a patient who's had a partial or total knee replacement, and if they have good technique, soft surfaces, midfoot landing, short strides, they're probably not overloading their joint. And they probably are doing just what you mentioned, Chris. They're building their bone and they're building their muscle by adding a little bit more force. Like you say, not all doctors offer these same approaches. And not all doctors tell their patients to remain active. Not all doctors will recommend a partial knee replacement instead of a total conventional knee replacement. And many of them also don't offer what I think of as minimally invasive, you know, sort of non-surgical alternatives to some of these things. And you mentioned some of those earlier in terms of the um, injections with hyaluronic acid and uh, and growth factors from amniotic uh, fluid, and they just don't for many reasons. But of the things I know to be true is that many physicians just don't offer minimally invasive or non-surgical treatments simply because they don't have experience with them. For example, PRP injections and stem cell therapies are not something that every doctor will offer to patients. 
And although these sort of, I guess you could call them advanced therapies, certainly could comprise an entire episode, maybe just share a little bit on your thoughts of how these advanced injections like PRP or platelet-rich plasma or these stem cell injections could be used to benefit runners with knee issues in particular. Yeah, so it's a great question. It's It's a wonderful burgeoning field right now that I call the anabolic era of orthopedics. And so in the past, surgeons would give you cortisone injections, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, and all the drugs that shut down inflammation, but they shut down tissue healing. And by doing that, unfortunately, tissues get weaker and often damaged. And so what's happened over the last 10 years is that we've learned how to stimulate the tissues around a joint or a tendon or a ligament by adding a a natural anabolic, which is a growth factor from either your blood or from your bone marrow or your fat or from now an amniotic source. And so what it is is that stem cells that are perivascular cells, they live on the walls of vessels, migrate to the site of an injury and express growth factors at that site of injury, which direct healing. So there are certain growth factors that cause breakdown of dead tissue. There are other growth factors that stimulate new collagen formation. And there's this wonderful concert that occurs in your body to have tissues heal properly. And those stem cells are the directors of that symphony. And so you can take those cells as well as the growth factors that they express from different sources. And we mentioned, you know, PRP is from the blood as one example. But it turns out today that there is a potent source called amnionic stem cells or growth or amnionic fluid that comes from a, a mother at a C-section. And I get two to 50 times the growth factor concentration from that source that I would from someone's blood. And because your stem cells decline over 10,000 fold as you age, I get more stem cells from the amnionic fluid and membrane than I would from a 50-year-old patient, for example. And so I have a very potent source of stimulating healing around a joint. So if you have a tendonitis, if you have a overuse injury, if you have the typical things that all of our runners get, we can stimulate those tissues to heal a little faster by adding these growth factors in stem cells. Or if I do a cartilage repair or a ligament repair, I, you know, everyone's frustrated about how long it takes the tissues to heal. In this new era of accelerated healing, we can add these growth factors and stem cells and hopefully stimulate new healing. Now, we do know that the cell, we used to think these cells turned into new cartilage. We know that that doesn't happen. We do know that the growth factors that they release are what stimulate the healing to occur. It is fascinating, and it's, of course, very new. I actually was lecturing at a conference recently and uh, was mildly criticized by another physician who said that I shouldn't be talking about stem cell injections because they're too new, which I thought was interesting given that I was at a medical conference supposedly sharing new ideas with physicians for their continuing medical education. It's one of those things I think patients have to become aware of and they have to research and have to find out who actually offers these therapies if they want the newest and best treatments because not everybody does the same thing. We talked a little bit about this in the beginning and the mindset around healing and regardless of the techniques that are being used, the mindset's really important. And although I see injured runners all day long, I have yet to meet an athlete who seems to be really excited about an an injury, even though, as you mentioned, it can be an opportunity. Part of the problem with getting a runner to heal, of course, is it's very difficult for them to let go of this idea that they're going to be on track for this particular event that they've signed up for. 
and of course the next event is just often it's just one event it's not a crucial event but the whole psychology of injury tells us that we're broken in fact many doctors tell patients they're broken they tell patients that their the careers are over or that they should switch activities and all of this further reinforces this sort of imploding sense of helplessness on an injured athlete and another one of the great quotes from you is the best recoveries come from those who see themselves when injured as athletes in training and not patients in rehab and I know you mentioned that earlier but when you have one of these high level athletes whether it's an Olympian or professional triathlete or a professional runner and they have some kind of significant injury and they're likely going to have to have a surgical procedure in order to fix the problem. How does your team, your entire team, get the athlete on board with this idea as quickly as possible? How do you get them to see themselves again as an athlete moving forward instead of a patient in convalescence? You know, it's a great question. And, um, for, and really for every athlete, the answer is a little bit different. Because people all have, people come to the physician with their, their burdens, uh, their expectations are dashed, their hopes, their fears. There's a tremendous amount of fear around every injury, not just uh, will I ever be as good as I was again? You know, how long will it take to heal? How does this interrupt my life? So many factors. And one of the best things that I think our team does is listen really, really well to figure out what's your worst fear. And if you ask yourself after an injury, what's your worst fear? And then figure out solutions to answer that question, to solve that, to deal with it. Then all the other fears you can kind of, you know, deal with a little bit. But if you can, if you can address your worst fear and find a solution for it that works, then the injury is not so bad. And what I would tell people, you know, especially weekend warriors, are to treat themselves like all our pro athletes do. Take the injury super seriously, block out enough time out of your work day to get the things that pro athletes get, which is great nutrition counseling, great physical therapy, great hands-on work, great mindfulness time, great cross-training, great, you know, all the things that analysis of why the injury occurred and where your strengths and weaknesses are and working on those. Every great athlete, certainly every pro athlete takes the time to really work on those to come back better than they were before. And if you're a weekend athlete and just treat yourself like a pro athlete, what even though you might not have that many hours in your workday, you certainly can block out a few small segments in that day to address each of those things. And if you do that, all of a sudden your injury kind of becomes a bit of a project. And it's a bit of a project in a good way. And I think that helps deal with that, that overwhelming fear, will I ever come back? Yeah, I think that's very helpful. It is a difficult thing, but we can all do that. Just like you say, even if it's not somebody who happens to be a professional athlete with this entire team of people and they actually do have a day job, we can all find the time to do what is necessary to heal. We all find the time to do what is necessary to train, so we should be able to find the time to do what's necessary to heal. Seems like the same thing. But then if we can just shift gears for a second. I wanted to ask you a question because I get this question all the time. And I, at least once a week or so, some runner will ask me, is it true that running is going to ruin my knees? And so it's this whole it's the question of myth or fact, you know, is running going to ruin your knees? And for me personally, more than 20 years ago, I tore my anterior cruciate, posterior cruciate, medial collateral ligaments in my left knee. And the surgeon who reconstructed my knee told me that I should never, ever run again. In fact, 
he said that if I did run, that I would have to have a knee replacement within 10 years. And he didn't suggest that as a possibility. He made it this definitive endpoint. And obviously now it's been more than 20 years. I've done 15 Ironman triathlons and I run all the time. So today I can clearly say that he was wrong, yet it was a very convincing sales pitch that he gave me against running. So it seems like this really, obviously in my case, it was a myth. It wasn't reality, but is that a myth or is it reality? Is running going to ruin people's knees or is that just not true? So running does not hurt knees if the cartilage and surfaces and mechanics and stability are healthy. Um, it's just once you have an injury, you need to recover so that those surfaces are healthy and then they can tolerate running quite well. Um, so the other thing that brings up in the story that you told is how poor we are at predicting the future for each individual patient. And I have many patients who have a little bit of arthritis that just absolutely never progresses over, and I've been following them now for 25 years. And I have other patients who have just a little bit of arthritis, and a year later, their knee has gone to hell. We, we call them the knees have gone to hell. Um, it, so the individuality of the progression of changes in people's joints is quite large, and we're not good enough to predict that, that progression yet. So I think what makes sense is that if you have an injury, repair it as soon as you can. And it sounds like you got good, good care early on. And don't ignore your injuries. Treat them with tissue-preserving and replacing concepts. Don't take things out. In the old days, you had a torn meniscus. The surgeon would take it out. You had a torn ligament. They'd take it out. You'd have a cartilage injury. They'd scrape it off. Those days are over. If you have those injuries, repair them so that you can run forever on good tissues. Right. Now, you alluded to this earlier. You know, you mentioned the importance of early intervention, particularly with all these new therapies that are available, that you want to utilize those therapies when it can do the most good, which, of course, is at the earliest possible phase of the recovery process. You don't want to wait until you have run on a, a developing arthritic knee, basically, for 10 years. You don't want to just destroy it when you could have had some minor injury that could maybe a little tiny tear in the meniscus or something like that. I think that it would be really helpful if you could, you know, help our runners understand what to look out for in terms of the early signs of knee trouble, which if ignored could lead to the sort of destruction of cartilage and joint damage that you talk about. What specifically should runners watch out for so that they can avoid these massive destructive knee replacement surgeries later in life? What are the small things, the symptoms, or the signs that they really do need to seek treatment for these early meniscus tears and cartilage at areas of damage that could respond to these advanced, less invasive techniques? So two answers. One, for the big injury, meaning the patient says, Doc, I twisted my knee, I heard a pop, my knee swelled. You have a 90% chance, if those three things are in place, of having torn the meniscus tissue or the ACL and having a surgically repairable joint. The others are hey, doc, I run and I get some pain and swelling. Pain and swelling are not good for the knee. The swelling has degradative enzymes in it, those things that break down cartilage. Pain is a very good indicator that something's wrong. And so we really listen very carefully to folks when they say they have pain and swelling with an activity 
to try to figure out why. And is it because there's a tissue that's injured inside? Is it because their mechanics are off? Are they having an overuse issue? It's really important to sort of think those through and make a good diagnosis. And most of those, of course, are not surgical, and there are things that are overuse, irritations, and everything else. But really take the time to get the good diagnosis early on. So my answer to that is listen to your body quite carefully. Um, pain and swelling, giving way, instability, that shouldn't happen. It's, um, it's like a car that's out of line. If you drive it out of line long enough, the tires wear down very fast. And if, uh, if it's in line, the tires can last a long time. So, so look at your mechanics, listen to your symptoms, and just get good advice early on is my overwhelming advice to you. Now, many runners, I think, will ignore, or we tend to ignore those sort of aches and pains, a little bit of swelling, a little bit of pain in the knee. And I see patients who I think are inclined to monitor it. And as soon as, if they don't think it's getting worse, they don't think of it as a real problem. Yet it is a real problem and shouldn't be ignored. I think you would agree to that, correct? That's right. Where else can all of the listeners go to learn more about you and the techniques that you've discussed here? What's the best site for them to go to? There's two sites. One for clinical diagnosis, and there's a little symptom checker uh, that we designed over the years, and that's at stoneclinic.com. And then for more on research that we're engaged in, and it's a public nonprofit research foundation, and that's stoneresearch.org. And we encourage people to send us questions, and we're happy to help any way we can. If you're interested in being involved in research, there's a public research foundation, which uh, we can use all the help we can get on that side to do these studies that we think uh, will help all athletes avoid arthritis and come back from injuries faster. Well, Dr. Stone, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show and share all of your experience with all of our runners. And of course, we'll put the links that we've discussed in the show notes so that everybody can find them and go to those and then check out those resources on your website when they get done listening to the episode. So again, thank you very much for coming on. My pleasure. Take care. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me. And then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.